looking at the gospel or good news in four letters. And we understand that everyone has a gospel. There's something that everyone holds to that they believe is right and true and best. And the gospel you believe determines the life that you live and the emotions you feel. But the reality of, of, of the fact is, is that the Bible has, has spoken quite clearly about what the true gospel is. The, the true gospel is the power of God, saves us from the punishment and power of sin, so that we have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. And this is not an ideology. This is not a philosophy. It's not an institution. It is a fact. It's something that has happened. And it's worth celebrating. And that's what we've been seeking to do as we've been studying the book of Philippians. See, the gospel is a fact worth celebrating because of the victory of Jesus. We can rejoice. And we're commanded to rejoice. The book that we're in and the book that we're finishing today is actually the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be working from uh, verse 10 all the way to verse 23. And we're going to finish uh, this series and this book. Next week we begin Colossians, which one of our elders told me we haven't done in over 15 years. And so I'm excited to go verse by verse with you uh, again. Some of you weren't even alive then, so uh, you're welcome. We're glad to have you along this time. And uh, we're going to be working our way through, through that text. But Philippians 16 times references joy and often commands us to rejoice. And as Christians, we have every reason to rejoice it should be quite easy for us to live out this command. One of the things that we're going to see today is one of the reasons that we have to rejoice is because we can be content. Contentment is actually one of the superpowers of the Christian life. You remember when you were a kid, how you always, maybe not always, some of you didn't, you know, pretend this way, but some of you pretended that you had superpowers. Remember, you'd go see maybe a movie and you think, oh, I, pretending I could fly. If you could have a superpower, and I'm sure many of you have had this discussion with your true friends, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Would you fly? Would you be invisible? Would you have super strength? Would you have super smarts? What, if, if you could choose one right now, as a matter of fact, let's just real quick, tell the person next to you, if you could have one superpower, what it would be. Go, 10 seconds. What would be your superpower? So hard to choose, so many options. All right, don't get philosophical. It's just a superpower, all right? Now, what's interesting to me uh, about the many superpowers that, that were probably thrown out there, I, I, would, I, would, I would wager if I were a wagering man that no one said contentment. And it is a superpower. You know what's interesting about contentment? If you have it, it doesn't matter if you can fly or if you can be invisible or if you can be stronger or, or if you can be smarter than anybody else in the world. The reality is if, is if you are content, then it doesn't matter what you do or don't have. That's why it's a superpower. And it's a superpower that is given to us by God. Uh, th there are so many miserable people in this world today. And, and some of you here today, you are miserable. Let me tell you why. Because you're not content. You're not content. You're not satisfied. And, and, and there's a reason for it. And I, and I hope to help you uh, understand what that reason is for you today. But, but ultimately, it comes down to you have expectations that are not being met. And ultimately, you're looking in the wrong place. We were at the beach this week and I saw, I saw some who were content and some who were not. I saw a little boy, interesting little boy. He found contentment in strange things. I came out one day and he was laying face down into the beach and I thought, that doesn't look right. 
and he, he lifted up his face and he had dug out a hole for his face. And he was just laying there with his, with his head in a, in a hole in his face, all covered and happy as could be, content. And, and then there was another child, as I walked on, toys everywhere, but was pitching a fit because they'd forgotten the one she wanted. And I thought, boy, isn't that a picture of what our world looks like today? There are those who are content who seemingly have nothing and those who are not content who have seemingly have everything. You know, we live, we live in supposedly one of the greatest nations in the world. And isn't it interesting, though, that, that we have this, this high, high number of people who are suffering with depression and addictions, who are so, so unhappy and unsatisfied. There is so little contentment. Why? Well, because there's brokenness and there's pains. And as Christians, we have in Christ Jesus this, this overcoming power through what Christ has done to be content so that we can always rejoice. But until we are content, we will never rejoice. And so it's important that we know what it is and how to sustain it. Our text today, it, it shows us what it looks like when joy-filled Christians are content. So you should be there in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to have Ansley come and read verse 11 through 13. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Philippians chapter 4. And Ansley is going to read for us verses 11 through 13. Go ahead, sweet girl. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, doesn't it? Amen, amen. If you, she's the hugger. She's such a sweet hugger. You know what? Some of you are sitting down, but you know you shouldn't do that. Let's all stand together again. Greet those who are around you. And if you feel comfortable, give them a hug. Sweet girl, thank you. You know, whenever we come to uh, the conclusion of a series, it's, it's always bittersweet. And I often think of our old friend, Pastor Jeff Armstrong. He was our student pastor here for years. He had a saying that I've never forgotten, broken hearts and fresh starts. That's how I feel every time we're ending a series and getting ready to begin a new one. But, but what we see here at the end of, of this chapter is, is very, very important. It helps us to, to be able to grasp so much of what is needed for our lives to be able to, to truly rejoice. The Apostle Paul is completing this letter and he's, he's, of course, thanking them, but he's also reminding them of the goodness of God, how God had been good to them, how they had been good to him and how God can be trusted, how God is, is always, he is faithful. And, and so in this last section, we see what contentment is, what it does, where it comes from, and how it is sustained. And so there's four of those things I would encourage you to write down and remember. And the first one is this. Joy-filled Christians learn to be content. We learn it. This is what contentment is. It is something we learn. Notice what Paul writes here. You might want to underline this. This is chapter, I'm sorry, uh, verse 11, the latter part. It says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, contentment is not a trouble-free life. As a matter of fact, Paul writing of being able to rejoice is writing at a very difficult stage in his life. 
and he knows he needs help. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, you have revived your concern for me. For uh, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, as a missionary, the Apostle Paul was always dependent upon local churches to provide not only for his life, but for his ministry. And we're going to see in just a moment how the Philippians did provide for those things. But the point that Paul is making here is that he's learned to be content. Let's look at verse uh, 12 and following. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So circumstance did not define his contentment. He learned by, by trusting God as God guided him in these different circumstances to be content, whether brought low or abounding. In, in both instances, what happened? He rejoiced. It, it wasn't just when, when things were going bad that he was able to say, yeah, but I can just kind of, and it wasn't just when everything was going. It was in all circumstances. And it's important that we understand that getting everything you want or everything you need won't make you content. If you're looking to your circumstance to define whether or not you're going to be content, you will never be content. There is only one way to be content. One way. And it's a secret found in verse 13. One of the most misquoted, misused verses in all the Bible. Verse 13 says plainly, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We are made content by the strength of God. That verse does not mean, as many coffee cups would tell us, that we can fulfill our dreams, that we can get everything we ever wanted. We can be everything we ever wanted to be. That's not what this verse is telling us. This verse is telling us that we can be content no matter what we're going through, no matter what our circumstances are. By the strength of God, we can be content. And that's what makes it a superpower. We have God's strength at work in and through us to make us content. And it's something that, that we must learn. You know, as a, as a pastor and as a friend to many, I've seen people abound and I've seen people be brought low and I've seen those who are content and I've seen those who are discontented. I think about a year ago, uh, Pastor Bill was, was dying and I remember how he died, rejoicing. He was content. He was leaving this world and he, he had so little strength left. He had, he had almost no voice. And the last bit of voice that he had, he used it to tell me a joke. Isn't that so, Pastor Bill? Because he, he, he was content. And I think about years ago, I was counseling a, a Western Kentucky University athlete who could, could barely lift his head. He was so down. And, and there was no contentment there. And, and as I'm talking, I wanted to tell this guy, but I, I thought it would make him feel more guilty. Is uh, Do you have no idea how many young people dream of being in your circumstance, to have your athletic ability, to have your opportunity, to be able to be where you are right now? And despite the fact that he had all that many ever wanted to have, there was no contentment. As a matter of fact, he was, he was very dejected and was ready to quit and give up on everything. See, your, your contentment comes from a strength. And that strength is either something that you have or someone else has or something that, that, that is made. And by the way, that strength always fails. Your strength, the strength of other people, the strength of created things. But there's one strength that never fails, and it's the strength of God. Because God never fails. Lamentations 3.21, if you haven't memorized this one, you need to memorize this one. This is an important one. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great, great is your faithfulness. And Psalm 118.5, Out of my distress I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When we are trusting in the strength of God, we can be content. And the way we become content is we learn it. It's not going to come naturally. It's not going to come through an academic exercise. You can't read enough books on this. Something you learn. And God teaches us. And here's how. Through trials and thorns. Trials and thorns is how we learn to be content. That's why James writes in James chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's a gift. When you face a trial, a challenge, it is there that you're learning to rely on the strength of God, and that's where contentment is found. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, that his circumstances would change. But he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may, may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, look at what he says, I am content. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. The strength of God is our superpower. And it is the strength of God that makes us content. And it's something we learn. We learn to depend on the strength of God and we learn to be content. And when we do, it changes how we live. That's the second thing joy-filled Christians do. They share with the body. They share with the body. This is what contentment does. It is something that helps not only us, but others. The church at Philippi was a missional church. They understood what we had been commanded to do and be as Christians. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were missional as we at Living Hope seek to be missional. Three aspects of this I would encourage you to see in the text. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And we empathize and we pray and we share in the trouble of our partners. Every Sunday we release our prayer focus. And every Monday the prayer focus is a missional prayer. We are praying every Monday for either a global or local or national partner. And if you're not praying, you should be. You should be praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are member, covenant members of this congregation. And together we are to pray and to empathize. They, they list for us their challenges. They, they speak to needs that they have that we need to be praying for. That's what a missional church does, an obedient church does. Look at verse 15. Even, uh, it says, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. We give support. Every time you give your tithes, those, a portion of those dollars go to, to care for and share in the ministry of our partners. Every single dollar you give, a portion of it goes to impact people. Some of you you will never see until heaven. Heroes of the faith. And we get to do this. We get to share with the body. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We also send people. They sent Epaphroditus from their church to care for the needs of Paul and his ministry. And we're commanded to do that. And that's why we received the gift for Christ. We're about to enter into a season where we're going to be celebrating the missional work of this congregation. Not to boast, but to point to Christ in the call. And so today, Pastor Clay has prepared for us a video to to help us engage our hearts and minds into into what it is we are called to do. Let's watch this together. How many times have you heard the question, where are you going? It's a good question because we all seem to be constantly on the move from one place to the next or one activity to the next. I've been thinking about that question a lot. Not just the question, but the concept of going. Here's what I've determined. Going is a decision. When we say we're going here or there, we're saying we've determined to do so. We go because we see a need or have a preference driving us to do so. The way we arrange our lives determines in some ways where we're going. Here's the thing. For Christ followers, our question should be different. What I'm proposing is is that we stop asking one another, where are you going? And begin asking, where are you sent? God's word shows us a template by which he has revealed himself throughout history. God reveals himself through sin. From Genesis to Revelation, we read about God repeatedly sending his representatives to make himself known and understood. We see the ultimate form of sending in the person of Jesus Christ. First, he's the ultimate sent one. But we also see that Jesus is the ultimate sender as well. Do you realize that the Great Commission is repeated in some way in each of the four Gospels as well as the book of Acts? We read in John's Gospel how Jesus comes to the disciples on the day of his resurrection. John says that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them in that moment, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Here's the reality. All Christ followers are sent people. We are charged by Christ himself to go and make disciples. Here at Living Hope, One of the ways we do this is by sending our people out as short-term and long-term missionaries. The annual Gift for Christ offering is the way in which all of this sending happens. The Gift for Christ provides funding for our long-term sent ones to live and to minister overseas, while also providing our short-term teams the ability to come alongside our partners to minister, to encourage, and to grow as disciples themselves. So over the next month, we're going to be celebrating what God has done through sending Living Hopers locally, nationally, and globally this year. In addition, we'll be asking you to give generously to give for Christ. And finally, we'll be asking you, where are you sent? The church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus. We need to send some of you. And to do it's going to cost a lot of money. And so we're all going to need to pray and we're going to need to give. And many of you are going to need to go. And that's what content, joy-filled Christians do. We share with the body. And we do it in trusting in God's provision. And that's the third thing to write down and remember. Joy-filled Christians trust in the Lord's provision. 
This is where contentment comes from. It comes from God's provision. It's something that God provides. There, there's a natural blessing and there's a spiritual blessing. The, the common grace, if you will, Psalm 104, 14, you cause the grass to grow from the lives, uh, for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. This is a common grace of God. Believers and non-believers enjoy this, but then there is a special grace. It's a spiritual provision, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're under the sovereign care of God, so that miraculously, everything works for good for those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. This is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Every aspect of our lives is under his sovereign care. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Never forget this. If God allows it, it is necessary. If he withholds it, it is not needed. You can trust God. He knows what is best. You can trust his provision and his timing. And as you do that, you'll praise him all the time. Your life will be a doxology like verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that kind of doxological life comes from faith. A faith that begins and ends with grace. And that's the last thing I would encourage you to write. Joy-filled Christians begin and end with grace. This is how contentment is sustained. It is something that the gospel empowers the Christian life, it begins and ends with grace. We are born again by grace. We are at our death, born into heaven by grace. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, our blessing for today. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And one of those great significant provisions of God is community. We have one another. And what do we do with one another? Look, what, look at these. The, there's a repeating word there. I wonder if you can see it beginning in verse 21 on through verse 23. Greet every saint in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Hope you notice the word greet. It means to affectionately bless, to speak well to, to speak well of, to speak on behalf that there might be an encouragement. And, and that begins and ends with grace. Think about how, the, how this letter began. As a matter of fact, take your Bibles. Go back to the very beginning of the book of Philippians. Go back to chapter 1, verse 2. Look where this letter began. Having introduced himself, what does Paul speak to? Verse 2, grace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter begins with grace and the peace that comes by it. And these two particular blessings have always been a part both in the Old and New Testament of our family. Grace, it comes from, it comes from the gift of this loving kindness of God. The, the Hebrew word is kesed, unending, unlearned kindness and love. This is where grace comes from. It comes from the heart of God and his continual eternal loving kindness. And it produces shalom. You know this word, hopefully. It's the Hebrew word for peace. It means to be made whole, complete, so that all is well. Uh, some of you Star Trek nerds know this. But uh, Spock's famous line, I don't know, some of you don't know this, um, live long and prosper. Have you, have you ever noticed how many of you guys can do the Spock uh, gang call? This, yeah. Okay. So the word shalom, you see it up there? It begins with the, the letter sheen. What Spock was doing was he was flashing 
the sheen that begins the word shalom. When he was saying live long and prosper, he was saying in Hebrew, peace. This is the provision of God. It's, it comes to us by grace. It begins and it ends with grace. So go back now to the very end. So you saw right there, Philippians 1, 2, grace. Let's go back to the very end. Look at verse 23. How does it end? The letter ends as, as all things from God end. Grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your, and notice, notice this, spirit. Notice it does not say circumstances. He's saying, let the grace of God be in your inner being. And if, if this grace is doing its work, then it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what superpowers you may or may not have. All that matters is that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And therefore, you're whole. When we, when we, when we think about life, friends, we got to understand this world is not as it should be. When God created the world, three circles were reminded that God's design was shalom, it's wholeness. We destroyed that with sin, and that's why there's brokenness. But here's the good news. If we will repent of trusting in ourselves and other people and other things and trust in Christ alone, we'll be saved. We'll be made new. We'll be free to pursue and recover shalom, God's design. Now, some of you are not in a position you can do that because your life is in your hands and not in God's hands. And before you leave today, you need to, you need to make a change. You need to get your life out of your hands and put your life fully in God's hands by faith. Now, some of you are saved, but if you're honest, you keep trying to wiggle out of that hand. You keep trying to figure out your own way instead of trusting God's. And you need to repent of that. You need to stop. And you need, before you leave here today, to renew your faith commitment to Christ, trusting Him to provide that you might be content. Let's stand together as I pray, and then I want to bless you with today's blessing. Father, I pray for some today who do need to be saved. They are not whole. They do not have shalom. They are not at peace with you or peace within or at peace with others. And because they're lacking that they they need you to do something they need you by your grace to transform them some to be saved some to be sanctified some to be made stronger in the grace they claim to believe father in, in any in every circumstance in every life here today i pray that you would move in such a powerful way that our lives are changed and that all who need to have this encounter will not leave until they talk with me or one of our leaders out in the hall or someone with a lanyard God bless them today and bless us now with this hope that we have in your word in Jesus' name. Amen.